incredible what passes for heroism these days. That's not comforting. I like to offer a nice bouquet of thought. I'm enjoying the story so far, but I have a feeling it's not going to end well. Lots of people was asking me about you. I'm sure we have something else to talk about. I'll say whatever you think I should say, but I'm not gonna fight with you. We do it all the time. Argue over something that's actually one thing or another. I'm almost embarrassed to say this. You fooled me. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Every week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015, and we gear our conversation around the conversation the show is having about all kinds of things, like John Glenn orbiting the Earth and planes falling from the sky. And also, don't forget that I'm John Negroni, your host, and with me, of course, is my baby, Michael Overholz. Wow, that's, uh, is this what has to happen for you to give me a nice intro? Will has to be gone? <laughs> um, you know, people, people have accused me of only having you as a friend to appear open-minded, and they are right. They are correct about that. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to play a role, you know? <laughs> uh, so how's it going? Yeah, it's just me and Michael this week. Uh, Will is on a, he's, he's on a film set today, and we, we're not allowed to say what film it is, but he said that he well, can't wait for Avatar 2. He said he was on his way to a film set. Didn't you say he was taken out of LaGuardia? He had a flight? Oh, no. (laughs) That's why he was wearing plaid. Yeah, too dark, too dark. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about Flight One, which is season two, episode two of the show. And uh, yeah, I I know I've mentioned this before that season two is not my favorite season. It's actually one of my least favorite seasons. But we haven't gotten to the part of the season that I dislike a lot yet. Like we're still in like the good stuff, I think. But remind me though, do you, do you, you, you didn't binge ahead, right? Because you did that with season one. You were like, oh yeah, I binged the whole thing, and then you were you went back to it. I did that for season one for like three episodes. I I've been very steady at just one episode at a time. I I did. Your struggle. dog is calling you out. Your dog is like, that's a lie. You're a little liar. Okay, you didn't. Maybe four episodes, okay? But I'm not Will Ashton. <laughs> I don't lie about all the Mad Men episodes I've seen before. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I was, I was laughing quite a bit when I was re-listening to our episode about the wheel, <laughs> like, where the will just kept, uh, you know, re, re, moving the goalposts, I think is what you called it. So but yeah, but I, I, to be fair to call it out, I did feel myself really want to move on to the next episode, uh, to episode three mm-hmm. after I finished the, uh, this fight one, but yeah. I wouldn't say it was because this was such a good episode. I feel like it just. It left me wanting for more. I mean, it's a classic hmm. second episode of a season, right? We're really still establishing the roots of what this season's going to be and, you know, all the themes that are going to continue. And, you know, I think it leaves you wanting, which I guess is an effective episode in a whole. But if you look at it individually, I, I got to be honest, besides some of the Pete stuff, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Really? I, I really enjoyed this episode. I actually, I think this is definitely a, an episode I like the more I watch it because I think that it's, it's one of the few episodes of this early in the show's run where I think everybody's stories connect in some kind of interesting way. They don't feel as disjointed as they sometimes do in season one and a lot of season two, I think. Although we're going back through it again. And, and I, I got to reemphasize, I bring this up a lot and you mentioned it too. 
we are sort of watching this week to week, which we've never done before. Like you and I binge the show because like I, I I got into it season five and you got into or no, I, I got into it season three, excuse me. And then I dropped off and then came back at the end of season four. But then for you, I think you were like a little bit further into it, right? Yeah, I, would, I think the season was just going into its second to last, maybe last season uh, okay, when I started, yeah. you know, catching up to it. So, there, yeah, we've, I, we, it goes without saying so many times that like the, when you do it week to week and you pause and you actually like really analyze each episode, like like slow down with it. There's so many things that you pick up on and can kind of appreciate. And that's interesting. It sounds like we have some differing opinions on this one. I'm excited. Um, who who would have thought? Who would have thought me and you would have a different opinion for for right? We're how usually an nothing. Would go? We're usually nothing but agreeable. You know, I know. I know you had it. You had it one way in your head, Mike. You know, <laughs> I was gonna. Yeah. I was gonna see you. You know, see your opinion and be like, get me that guy. You know, but uh, I'm, I'm butchering that whole scene. Can I? Can I mention like, oof, duck, fuck, duck, <laughs> fucking duck, dude. We get we I get mean, another I, sort of uh, hint about his drinking too in this one, where he's like, "Oh yeah, when my dad died, I went on a bit of a bender." Yeah, they're they're I mean they're definitely starting to slowly like throw those things in. I mean, they're, they're doing everything they can to make you not like the guy. Um, his insecurity. Is, it's like it's they were like, you know what? You know how we make Pete Campbell sympathetic? We bring in somebody worse than him, basically. Yeah, who wants to pretend to be his father figure, <laughs> but is just using him more than anybody else's. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to draw upon like one concurrent through line of the episode, I'm curious if you agree with this. I think it's it's about fatherhood. It's about father-son relationships and to an extent, you know, how life and work, you know, can kind of intervene with each other. They can like intersect, right? And like, you know, there's the line where Duck is just like, we're, we're a family around here. And I, I knew when I, was, when I heard that, I was like, oh, Mike is going to go on a tear. Because I know you've been in the corporate culture long enough right like you've heard of that i i assume countless times number one red flag bullshit hr lingo you'll ever hear is that we're a family yeah. around here it's I like actually it so much. i i don't want to be a fan i want to come here do good work and then be able to have a regular life outside of here as well exactly and i think it's like such a thing it's such a weird corporate propaganda thing that i'm particularly uh, incensed by you know and i think i think media is so curious about it like, it's such a curious thing when you go, when you watch shows like, uh, Will and I have talked about this before, but shows like The Office w- that have like really popularized that idea of like every workplace comedy tends to start in a place where everybody hates each other. But like over time, because you only spend time with the characters in the workplace, it becomes this contrived fantasy of a family. And I think that that sometimes just gets co-opted by corporations and like trying to do that same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all of them. The Office, Parks and Rec, even uh, yep. like current shows, Abbott Elementary is is, is that. Yeah, um, yeah, Abbott Elementary. Just this inbreeding shows. of how many characters you can get to date each other. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Uh, it's like a little bit of like an incestuous thing too, once you like tear down the layers of that. And and I like these shows. Like I, I'm not saying that like, oh, it's a bad thing. You know, I think it's natural. It's comfort for people to like revel in what if the workplace was a place of security and safety. <laughs> Um, not bashing my workplace, of course, but, uh, my workplace is actually a really good about that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I would say mine is too. Um, I, uh, we, I, I work places, right. That have been, hor- I'm literally in the middle of a, of a lawsuit with one place. Oh gosh. <laughs> but, um, you know, well, we gotta, we gotta, but, that's, there's life and there's the podcast, Mike. 
<laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. I'm so sorry. But, I, but all this to say, that is an, uh, something that makes you know Matthew Weiner so talented, or what makes Madman so different, right? Is that they are competent on on that workplace. I think that's a repeated yeah. theme so far through season one, season two. And you're seeing it with with Don. You're seeing it with Peggy. But what does like your life look like when its only worth is coming from work? Um, yeah. And and so far, it's a pretty negative picture that Weiner's painting. I was looking at some like comments this week on like at the time when this episode came out, like what people were saying about it, like in 2008. And I was kind of struck by how people were calling this episode in particular kind of joyless and people kind of criticizing the show for being so bleak and cynical. And I do think a lot of that comes from how biting it is about the workplace. And we have to remember in 2008, I mean, this is the height of the NBC workplace sitcom. You know what I mean? Like it's it's certainly one of those things where I think, especially at that time, you know, financial crisis and everything, people were not in the mood for something like this that examines our culture and kind of pokes at it. But that's what I that's why I think Mad Men's a timeless show. I mean, in the same way, the '60s was a decade all about counterculture and you know questioning some of the norms and values, uh, cultural values that we kind of take for granted in the same way. I think Matthew Weiner wanted the show to reflect that in an honest way and not, you know, try to try to modernize it. Right. Cause I think it, if he did, then Mad Men would not have aged nearly as well as it has. Yeah. I think it's a really good call out to think about the time when this came out, you know, 2008, a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of people scared of losing their mm. jobs. It's, yeah. It's just all very interesting. It's Mad, Mad Men, I think just, thrives on making those biting social commentaries though and you have to accept that they are going to and it's interesting how at different times of of watching this i know you've done it a couple times i'm sure it's spoken differently to you um probably Mm. you know younger in your career it spoke one way um being pretty established now probably speaks another and having to look at the the, you know the larger picture of the workspace but all this to say yeah i no no i think that's that's spot on. And I think I should be super upfront about the perspective that I bring, right? Because to what you're saying, when I first watched the show, it was a, the, what hooked me into it was I was studying advertising for the first time. And there was that creative inspiration I got from the show, the excitement of like, oh, what kind of pitch is Don going to do next? And all the other themes kind of snuck up on me because I wasn't ready for them. But then, yeah, I've, I've revisited the show at different points in my career and every time has spoken to me completely differently. I'm closer now in age and in function to Don Draper at this point in my career. And I'm certainly evaluating the show very differently from when I think I used to evaluate as Pete Campbell, you know, when I was in that shoes, there was a time when I was more in the Peggy Olsen sort of mold, probably like the very beginning, you know? So I think, I think that that's super fair. I'm curious, like kind of how, what you bring to that. Cause I, I assume, I don't know who your favorite character is, Mike. I don't think I've asked you. Do you have one? Is it Don? I don't, it's uh, I don't know if I have one. It's yeah, probably Glenn, honestly. I mean, <laughs> dude slays. I've always really identified with, I've always really identified with Roger, just like on how I carried myself and um, oh, yeah, all my affairs. Yeah. Yeah. Life of the party. I mean, everybody wants to talk. Several heart attacks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, Roger's Roger's super fun, you know, personality, but there's a lot going on underneath, you know, and, you know, there's a very late character. So I think for me and Madman, I I, I like a lot of people, but I think it's easier for me to be like, I don't like that person than it is for me to go. You're my favorite. Roger, Roger in this episode, too, is a little bit like he's in a bad mood, Um, a little fussy. Uh, maybe needs a nap because he's a bit like i don't know he's just a little bit like you know well, every character you have even, to feel, even Don. 
you have to feel like there's a little bit of underlying to this dialogue, right? I'm sure there's frustration that they haven't directly addressed with Don being partner yet, right? I mean, right. he he has all this health issues and he comes back. He not only has, is there another partner, um, Don hired the new head of accounts. He had yeah. absolutely yeah. no say in it. Yeah. Um, so he, he knowing how insecure of a person that. Uh, Roger is the, you, you, there's I think a lot that will be unpacked later in the season. calling out you know Colonel Glenn you know and being so you know like dismissive of you know something that at the time I think people were way more excited about like oh my gosh you know an, an American orbiting earth how cool but yeah clearly Roger it, it does track with Roger's sort of uh, conservative status quo loving persona where you know good old days Roger doesn't have at this point at least in the show that sort of uh, maybe that open-mindedness that Joan was uh, praising Paul for. Uh, okay, so this episode, uh, as we mentioned, Flight One, it was uh, directed by Andrew Bernstein. And let me double check because I think he did he did at least one other episode. Uh, that's right. Okay, so he did Babylon, and I think this is so. Yeah, that makes this his second episode of the show, and I think he has another episode or two after this one in the season. This episode was written by Lisa Albert and Matthew Weiner. Uh, Lisa Albert wrote, I think, I think at least one episode last season. Um, I think it was Nixon versus Kennedy, but I'd have to double check. Okay, yeah, so she did. Oh, that makes sense. So she did do Nixon versus Kennedy. She co-wrote it, but uh, she also was the sole writer, at least in terms of credits, where there's a writer's room, uh, for New Amsterdam. So that makes sense, considering, you know, this is the second episode of the show where Pete Campbell is arguably the protagonist. Um, I, I was going to ask you about that first, actually, with Pete Campbell. You already kind of alluded to it. I, I kind of noticed this time around that it seems like the camera is kind of following Pete around the same way it kind of follows Don around. And actually, when I was reading the uh, Mad Men Carousel book, uh Manzler Sites kind of kind of says the same thing. He he kind of I don't know if I totally agree with it, but he kind of says that like it, it's shooting Pete in a way where he's like bigger in the frame than he usually is, which I kind of agree with. I think that that's happening here, but I don't know if I don't know where do you stand on that. I'd have to rewatch the episode after reading that to kind of solidify. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think I'd probably have to do the same thing and take a look at it. I, it, it makes complete sense, um, and I think that's. I think really creative. Um, but I, this Pete's the best part of this episode, right? Um, yeah, because he has probably the biggest daddy issues in the show established in first, in the first season, which is saying a lot when you have people like Don Draper also on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so using him as the protagonist and continuing this, these, these father issues throughout the show, but still using him as like the spearhead, um, is just, I think really effective. Yeah. Um, I think throughout this episode, that's the main thing is Pete sort of, he's kind of having like a father crisis. It reminds me of Scrubs, like early in Scrubs, I think the first season. Yeah. Uh, where JD is kind of like choosing between two father figures, Dr. Cox and Dr. Kelso, and he kind of has to choose. And then it's kind of similar to how, uh, Pete is kind of choosing between duck and Don who, you know, we're still seeing a lot of divisions between duck and Don. We get a few more sort of like kind of small but not too subtle references to clearly these two had like a serious falling out over the last year so i think it's been more than implied that at some point they lost business and they blame the other person i know we already talked about that in the last episode and i think that that's continuing to sort of like show itself more and more in this episode because there's that whole line where you know duck duck has an insecurity 
Duck kind of sees himself as sort of like, uh, you know, he wants to be considered like better than Don, I guess, essentially. Like he's competing with Don Draper. It reminds me of like when Roger is like telling Don not to compete with Pete Campbell. But, you know, when Don has that meeting with uh, the guy from Mohawk, Lamont, he even says to him, you know, like uh, Lamont says to Don, it's like when I came to Sterling Cooper, people told me like, Sterling Cooper, you get Don Draper. And I think Duck sees that and is just sort of like, you know, who cares about Don Draper? Like he he wants to be seen as like the head honcho. This is his redemption arc, right? He's the main character in his own story. And I, I just love this petty rivalry between them. It's so easy to root for Don, obviously. Like who roots for Duck? Find me that person. And I, I want to talk to them. <laughs> Who's watching this and being like, Duck, Duck, Goose? I, I don't even know what that means. Does Don know it's a petty rivalry though? Does To me, Don just seems like he, I don't know, he treats Duck like he does Pete. Like he knows like you aren't, talented mm-hmm. yeah he's like you're entitled you're sort of just like i don't know because it's so weird the dynamic between them duck or don hired him you know so clearly something like these two just do not mesh whatsoever and it's so ironic considering pete and don seem to have come to like an understanding or like a respect at this point i think that like don is seeing that like okay yeah you're a spoiled brat but at least you're good at your job <laughs> he's not gonna he's not gonna belittle pete if Pete is actually doing good work, which I think is like, that's the principle that Don stands by. Right. Yeah. And, and Pete's calmed down, obviously. Right. He's not mm-hmm. pulling his shenanigans anymore, making these outrageous big plays. You know, he he's, he's working. Maybe he's not keeping his head to the grindstone as much as like Peggy is. Um, but you know, duck's now yeah. the one that's stuck in his crop. I think, I think Pete is doing the natural human thing where he is changing. Uh, he's changing based on his environment. And I think it's easy to see that like the environment he grew up in, like the dad that he had, he it was a very specific type of upbringing that made him the way that he is. And I think all this time spending around somebody like Don Draper and learning from him and being influenced by him is actually helping him change for the better, I think. Like, I think he's reasonably challenged by Don in some ways and wants to be like him. And, and you know, he's kind of in a fake it till you make it sort of scenario. And it's there's something interesting about how his father in the show has to die in order for that to like really be a demarcation. Now we should mention that the actor who played Pete's dad uh, last season, he actually passed away for real. I forget his name, but they dedicate this episode to him. Um, But he died in an avalanche um, in a a snow resort in California. And uh, I I actually, I had no idea about that until I was just kind of like looking into the episode, but yeah, uh, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure, you know, sort of like the timing on that necessarily, but uh, clearly they they kind of did the same thing that Sterling Cooper did with American Airlines. They used this tragedy as an opportunity to tell a story. Um, I'm not I'm not being mean. I, I, yeah. Did did they <laughs> actually get an opportunity though? Because the way the episode ends and plays out, it definitely makes it seem like uh, Dom was right in that. American Airlines isn't actually being serious and that duck was overplaying his, uh, his in. Yeah. I, I go back and forth on this. So, so you think, cause like, obviously it's easy to stand with Don, right? You know, like most of us would look at the situation and be like, yeah, you gotta be loyal. Um, but I mean, we still got to put ourselves in the shoes of like Roger and Burton and why are they going for it? You know? And it's because I think duck has a point and I think Roger has a point that even going after American Airlines and showing that you're serious and that you can go toe-to-toe is good for the agency, even if they lose Mohawk. So like in the long run, it's good for the agency. But then you can look at what 
Don's side and say like, yeah, but I mean, do you want to really be viewed as a, an agency that is willing to cut people loose to get ahead? Like that's kind of, I don't know. Do you think that's in line with Don's character too? Because like, I guess like Bert sees him as sort of like a, an Atlas shrug type, you know, like rational self-interest will do anything to get ahead not sem- sentimental, but that's not really who Don is, is he? Well, Maybe you gotta remember this is new Don, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's changed. He read meditations in an this, emergency. This is- this is this is family man Don. This is my word. I, I am who I am, and my word is everything, Don. I'm not cheating on my wife for the first time, and I think forever. I think even Don. Don from last season. Um, I think Don from last season would also though be sort of doing this. Like I don't think that he would like if this had happened episode two last season. I think Don would be like, why would we do that? No, be nice. Yeah, don't think fair so? enough. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Hard to say. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Okay. We're chewing on. We're chewing on. Because I'm not sure either. You know, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Uh, if only we had a third person come in and, you know, yeah. Will, Will, Ash and a... Well, if only it was Will, 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 what do you think? Well, well Mike, you know, uh, uh, I think that uh, Shrek is a great movie. And uh, Sorry, what? <laughs> I love movies. I don't know. That's... We're going to work on our Will impression. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, stoic but vulnerable. That's Will. Um, okay. <laughs> no no easy way to transition from that. But um, so, so did mention that Don and Pete have this kind of father-son thing. Pete ends up going with Duck because Don kind of scolds him a little bit. There's also something that I picked up in this episode that, and I want to bring up with like Peggy too, um, the way that parents treat sons versus the way that parents treat daughters. Because, like, you know, the, the whole thing with Sally is kind of interesting because, like, the way that Don treats Bobby, like, when Bobby's, like, disobeying and just being a little brat, Don is very sympathetic. Don, I think Don sees his son and kind of sees him, treats him the way that he wishes his parents had treated him, right? Not too strict. But with Sally, you know, he's not too strict with Sally, but he kind of treats her like an adult, you know? He kind of treats her an adult in the way that, like, he disrespects Betty or looks down on Betty for acting like a child. He like sort of tries to get Sally to make them drinks and do all this adult stuff. And he talks to her like an adult, right? Like when he's explaining how to do the drinks, he's not, he's not being like, you know, uh, uh, like uh, you're a dumb little kid. Like he's kind of, you know, he's not talking down to her at all. He's just sort of being like, all right, this is how you do it. You know, whatever. I think it also definitely has to do with her being the oldest too. We have to imagine young Don doesn't really mm-hmm. know how to be a parent, especially the first time. And so what does he do? Uh, he never had know. a sister. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to treat her like yeah. I would treat anybody. Right. And I think that's probably why it makes him so uncomfortable in Carlton. It's like talking about like high school girls. That's got to like really get under Don's skin of just like, excuse me, like my daughter, you know, is like, eight years old like she's not that far off from that stage of her life and like what are you doing you know uh, i did have a feeling when i saw carlton and i was like he put on some weight is he pregnant <laughs> are you gonna find out it's, a, it's, it's like it's like they were like hey we have all this peggy makeup from last season should we throw it away yeah, what are we gonna do no no i've got just the idea it's so bad it's it's really bad yeah yeah it, it's very cartoonish. So Peggy, I know that, you know, you said Pete was your fave and I think, yeah, I mean, he, he has like the best material in this, like reacting to his dad's death and how he deals with it. And he's such an interesting character. He's, he can be very unpredictable as a character. I think Peggy can be pretty unpredictable too. And this is an interesting episode for her, but, uh, do you have, what, what do you stand on Peggy's arc in this episode? 
Well, John, you know, as much as anybody, I'm a huge fan of vacuum cleaners. Um, and so when I see her walking around with that thing, with that Hoover, I'm just like, wow, that's somebody I can really get behind. Um, no, I, I, I think... I think Peggy's going through it, man. I think she's trying to figure out who she is and who hasn't been there, you know, making out with somebody she's one a, day, getting yeah. getting guilted by your mom to go to church the next, regretting your adopted baby. There's a lot. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's deconstructing, right? Um, I think, like, there's it's such an interesting line. She's just like, oh, church doesn't mean to me what it means to you. You know, she kind of implies and like, you know, going in again into like the father dynamic, you know, her, her mother asked her to light a candle for her father. We get a little more information with Peggy in this episode of like what her situation is since having a kid and essentially her mother and sister are raising her child for her. And it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I imagine that the reason we're just now seeing them or that she wants to visit is because she feels guilty, right? That like sort of Catholic guilt is kind of rearing its head. If only Walashin was here. He's the Catholic among the three of us. Uh, he was raised Catholic. And I I don't really know the ins and outs. I had to do some like research into this because I thought it was like very striking that she didn't go up to do communion at the end. But then I saw that like, oh, you can only do communion in mass if uh, you've done confession. And so that's a very like specific detail. Like there is a reason she stands out like that. And it's because she hasn't come to terms with what she did. Right. Um, or at least within the context of the church, uh, she hasn't like confessed. And I think the show is like being very particular about that, especially like literally holding the weight of like the baby. It's very, very symbolic stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. And it, there, there's nothing more, I feel like jarring than like, you know, parent relationships for, for any viewer. Right. And what mm -hmm. makes this episode so tough is that it has every angle of it from the abandoned son to yeah, Peggy's abandoned son and feeling like you are that kid to Pete who always wanted his dad to, you know, love him and appreciate him to yeah. finding out jumping around, not trying to jump around, but finding out that his dad was like a fraud and he actually had no right. money. And so there's just like every angle of this is, is right. You're going to see yourself in any of these situations. Um, it's, it's a pretty cutting episode. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention too, cause like, it's clear that the show is going after this sort of like Pete is the son. He, but he has more in common with Don than Don originally suspects. Right. In the last season, I think Don does recognize something about Pete that like, even though they're totally different, like a father can be completely different from a son but they still be like related in this sort of mysterious sense, which is why I've always seen Peggy as his successor, Pete as sort of his like progeny almost. And because it is a different like dynamic. And I think it's reflected very in a very similar way to Sally and Bobby. You know, I think Sally in very many ways is sort of his progeny. Well, uh, you know, or sorry, Sally is more sort of like a character in this show who I think is going to be more important to like Don and as an adult, like in an intellectual level, whereas like Bobby is going to be more of like his legacy in some ways. Um, so I think that's all pretty interesting. The way the show is like framing all of that. Uh, can't, can't get away too from the, the Paul and Joan in this episode, which is my least favorite thing in this episode. I'm curious where you stand. The thing I don't like about it, like, I think it does connect because it, it's sort of like the siblings fighting of Sterling Cooper. If Sterling Cooper is a family, like they're kind of squabbling and all that. 
I don't think it's that interesting. And I think, I think it does bring in the whole thing where Joan, you know, is talking to Peggy about like your personal stuff shouldn't interfere with work. It's a little forced. I get what Lisa Albert and other writers are going for here, but I, I don't know. I, I don't buy it as readily as I buy all the Pete stuff and the Peggy stuff and the Dawn stuff. Uh, and then ultimately I don't like it that much because I just feel like it's a lot of character assassination. I think that like the way that Joan acts, like the racism, the like that is sort of framed as like racism, but also jealousy, but also maybe both, but also maybe neither. It's 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 kind of a weird dynamic that Joan kind of puts on here. I don't know that I buy that Joan cares that much about Paul. I really don't. Like I don't get it. Like she was with Roger. I see her being petty like this about Roger, but like there's nothing I've seen in the show thus far that like really hints at like Joan really caring about Paul that much. And Nixon Kennedy, she was brushing him off a hundred percent. Right. I completely agree. It's, it's hard because it's exactly character assassination. That's actually my biggest beef with this episode is it makes you hate Joan so much. And I think at the end of the day, it's just kind of like weak writing for, for Joan and it's shoehorning some things in there. And, um, especially watching it slower than we, we did the first times like we talked about, yeah, it it just doesn't feel like she would care about Paul. It's, it's exactly what you're saying. Uh, Roger is the person that she's going to care about ultimately at the end of the day. She's going to do whatever she wants to do. And that's you know, why she's dating a, a doctor at the end of the day, I feel like. Just someone as successful or looked upon as well as someone like a Roger partner would be. So Paul, this writer who lives in New Jersey, who gives a shit? Yeah, I guess, I guess that's my confusion about like her character at this point because – you, I don't know. You, I feel like you have to reach for your own conclusions on what's going on with her. Like, does she not really care about this doctor and, and feel like she's kind of settling because of her age? If so, like, I feel like the show needs to give us a little bit more to really sell that because it's hard to get that, especially initially, because I, I don't know the, the whole thing with Paul is just, I don't even like Paul. And I think that going after Paul and kind of like knocking him down a peg which is what she does she eviscerates him in the office right where she just like lays him out and it's just like tell me what part of part of that was wrong you know i should love that like i should love that whole thing because yeah he is super pretentious he is doing what she's accusing him of but it's just like the way the show frames it 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 doesn't you know have that like feeling and i guess that's what they're going for like i don't think they want you I think they want us to be sympathetic with Paul, but also sympathetic with Joan. I don't know what they want, actually. It's kind of confusing to me. And I, I, I've seen it so many times, and it's never sat right with me. No matter how many times I try to like contort the element of the plot around like what, what's happening. And if then, they of course, want me like, to be sympathetic whole... with Joan, it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely not. Yeah. She's probably my least favorite it's not happen. at this point. I, to the point of her relationship with the doctor, I think the show not even bringing him in and only being at this point a name, I think should show you how unimportant they showed he is him, right? like, to her. And they showed him right briefly. a little bit, but that's what I'm saying. Like if this was mm-hmm. going to be a more serious relationship, we would be getting more, but we're not. Yeah. If anything is telling us that like this relationship is not actually that fulfilling for her because she wouldn't be acting this way if she was in a happy relationship, right? I mean, who knows? I mean, everyone's different, but it's certainly a hint, at least, that, you know, she certainly doesn't feel like she's with somebody who really challenged her. But again, I feel like that's why it would make sense with Roger, because we saw sparks of that, you know, real chemistry with her and Roger. She and Paul have the opposite of chemistry. When I see the two of them together, I do see it as like brother and sister squabbling. Like, I do not see how they were romantic in any way whatsoever before this point. Um, But... And I was going to say, like, I mean, the show heavily implies that Paul is the one who 
takes the picture of her driver's license, puts it on the corkboard, which is what leads, of course, into her embarrassment that she's 31. A uh, nice little touch, too, that her being 31 matches like the year she was born. So there's like a nice, easy way for the film to sh- for the uh, show to shorthand it. But uh, I mean, wh- I, I was curious though why they try to play coy about that. Like, it's obviously Paul, but do you think that they're trying to say that it could be, be somebody else? I, I don't I don't know. Like, why not just sort of confirm that it was him? I, I mean, I think they all but did confirm it was Paul. Um, I, I have yeah, no doubt for second thoughts that, that it was. Yeah, exactly. Who else would do it? Who would dare? Lois? Lois doesn't even know where she is right now. I mean, I, Joan could have made racist comments about other people's girlfriends. I don't know. Maybe it would be them, <laughs> but that was off camera. She's going to... She would definitely get pretty upset with uh, with Don if she had been at that restaurant when um, the very attractive Asian waitress makes a pass at Don. And uh, I, w- I was curious about that, too, because this that was the first time the show has ever sort of like hinted at a romance that Don would have with somebody who's not like a wasp, basically, or like some kind of like white person. Um, I don't know if I was reading too much into that, but like, that, that, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting that the first time that an interracial relationship is even sort of like shown in the show right i don't think we've seen any at this point um except for i guess we did in um not babylon hobo code with the bohemians but yeah we see paul dating a black woman and then you know the hint that like don is attracted to and maybe would have cheated with uh, an asian woman which of course in this time would be certainly pretty scandalous uh, do you think? Do you think Don would have done it if he hadn't have been in this mode? Your dog seems to think so. Your dog seems to be like, who's the real dog? Me or Don Draper? Yeah, he's being a real dick right now. And if someone could grab him, it'd be awesome. <laughs> a real a Dick Whitman. <laughs> um, but so two things I really liked about that scene. I do absolutely think Don would have cheated because that's the moments where he does, right? It's when work is stressful and he feels like he doesn't have control. So it was right there. That was like his number one trigger and he didn't do it. Um, Also to say it would have been like the more taboo relationship is is super fair. But I do think that him, especially for the the time in in the early 60s when he was having an affair with a Jewish woman, I think is is. That's you know, true. Pretty yeah. taboo. Yeah. Do you want to bring think, up Mankin? Yeah. 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 I think that's a very good point. And I think with the him cheating thing too, I, what's interesting about this season in particular and this episode is that, uh, and the last episode before this, we really see what led to the dawn of season one. You know, when he kind of tries to reset to being the family man that we see out, you know, during his carousel pitch, right? where he is sort of doting on Betty. He seems to be happy in his marriage, and he seems to be... At the same time, I think that pitch is still echoing into this season because we see that when Don try to, tries to go back to being good you know, and being faithful to his wife, it suffocates him, it seems to at least. He has to wear that sweater. He has to play cards with Francine and Carlton. He has to be obsequious to, to Betty in all of these ways. And we see that like he is miserable. Like he hates the way that like, you know, Betty is scolding him for not raising the kids the way that she thinks that he should. He feels like he has to like put on a costume and play act with her in, in their house. I know we've talked a lot about how, you know, uh, Betty is a character who does a lot of sort of like treats her world because she's a kid at heart as sort of like a dollhouse kind of thing. And Don hates being in it. 
And so I can, I can definitely see like the writing is suggesting like what leads Don to trying to find that escape into that other life, you know, and it's, it's a tragedy, you know, it's one of those things where it, it certainly gets me to examine like, what does Don do in this situation? Is it that he's not doing it right? Is there a different way that he could be a better husband? Is there a different way that he could connect with Betty that would resolve this obvious disconnect between them? And I, I uh, I forget how much this season deals with that, but yeah, where do, where do you stand on the, the Don and Betty of it all at this point? Yeah, it's really clear watching this that he's in a very unhappy marriage. I think um, last season it was clear just because of the disconnect with the affairs and not really having love at home, but in a way it feels even worse this season of you know him trying and still it being like there's nothing there for him. It, it, it's... Uh, it's just empty and it, 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 it's just really clear that there's, there's mm-hmm. going to be a, a lot to come for this marriage. And it makes you think about what a lot of our parents, right? When divorce numbers started to uptick, like with their parents and in that generation, divorce is still like very hard to go through and it, yeah. you know, very taboo in society and doesn't seem like an option, but you're starting to see it come into the era where it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, it, it's so hard to like watch this in that context of knowing how trapped Betty is in this situation that she can't just divorce Don. And I think she's sort of taking it out on him in like very passive aggressive ways. You know, the little digs that she makes about like my father, you know, would have been, or, you know, I was afraid of my father. I was more afraid of my father than going to sleep. And, you know, she would even say, she even says to Don, you know, I know how little boys are. Like she's clearly sore, extremely sore about, you know, uh, over a year later about, uh, Don cheating on her so much and she's standing up for herself and, uh, you know, rightfully so. And I think that, you know, even like she's like clearly talking to Don through Francine and Carlton's, you know, it almost makes me wonder if like that's why she wants to bring them out around so much because she knows that it like rubs it in Don's face when she says that like, you know, I like that Carlton's filled out. It shows that he's happy. <laughs> it's like a little bit like, whoa, Betty, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like after everything that Carlton put her through, it's like it's clear that she and Don have just not leveled with each other about what went down. And if they did, it's I could very much see them patching things up. But yeah, obviously that's not the case. And I, you know, I, I think that Don is just he's not emotionally intelligent enough to deal with that sort of thing. Like he's not honest. He, you know, I wonder if like Betty even looks at Bobby and it's just like gets it from his dad, little liar, you know. In a way, you know, it's kind of funny how they say, right? It's like, oh, he's testing the bounds to see to make it come true. It's like, hmm, he's a little little Don Draper, isn't he? Hmm. Yeah, I definitely read that too. If they, it was more, it was about Don more than it was about Bobby, and she's still angry about that. And I think the other thing, I completely agree that she likes bringing them around to rub it in Don's face, but I think it's also, I think Betty wants Don to still like pay a penance for what mm-hmm. he did to her, exactly, and. It, exactly what you're saying if they did hash it out don took maybe responsibility but you know very little actionable items like punishments as especially betty with her childlike uh worldview she has to think like no mister you're grounded or something like that right Right. no that's a great choice choice of phrase i feel like don very much has been grounded you know he has to like, not tonight. He has to head back home. You know, the last episode he was, you know, home with Bobby while Betty was out, you know, flirting with uh, the mechanic guy. Like clearly like Don has kind of been put into this position that he, uh, you know, he's trying to like get through it, I guess, to sort of re 
rekindle what he used to have because he's so sold on it at this point. He sold himself. The carousel pitch was so persuasive <laughs> that he's still kind of reeling from it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't revisit the sort of the sexual issues that he's been having, like that, you know. Uh, but I assume that's still happening too in the background. Do you think that's part of the reason he doesn't uh, hook up with the Asian waitress? He's scared he won't be able to get it up. I don't know. I could, I could be part of it. I, I could totally buy that. But I also think that he's self-aware enough to know that, like, he could. I mean, I think the circumstances of it, because I think that, like, he has confidence in himself. I don't think the show shows him at this point to be have a, for him to have like a low opinion of himself or to be like, you know, uh, insecure about his masculinity. I think that's more what we get from Duck. But at least at this point, I, I don't think that Don is that insecure. Okay, can we can we talk about just the different ways? both Don and Duck did treat Pete in their multiple interactions with him. Cause I, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Like neither is great. <laughs> exactly. One they is they both kind of got like two at bats at it. And yeah, you, yeah. you're like, Don, you, you did a pretty good job the first time. And yeah, then uh, I wouldn't even uh, say pretty good. I'd say barely passable because like, you know, first of all, Don is just like, just, just get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, he's, he's shoving Pete out the door because he's just like, he treats him the way that he treats his own kids, where he's just like, that's mother stuff. You know, like, you're not getting emotional anything from me. And he even, and he gives Pete bad advice. He's just like, don't pay attention to what you're feeling. And it's like, okay, he's a product of his time. Like, we can't villainize Don for being ignorant, but certainly that's not great advice. We can agree on that, right? I, I have zero idea what you're talking about, John. I avoid all my <laughs> issues. My In fact, said to me. <laughs> while we've been recording this podcast, the Mariners blew their four-run lead and lost a game. And I'm so sorry, I, Mike. And ha- have you been able to notice a ton of the podcast? No. Do Did I feel horrible and want to rip my laptop in half in the middle of this? Yes. Did I? No. Because I buried <laughs> my fucking feelings. <laughs> Like you can, you can express your feelings to me anytime, any day or night. Uh, but I, I would say, don't do what uh, Don does in this episode, where like literally, Pete is just like, "What does somebody do when this happens?" And Don's just like, light bulb goes off. He's like, "Drink," because <laughs> right to yeah. his drink card. But then what Duck does is way worse. I mean, what a. I mean, Pete Campbell has been used in his day, but Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Yeah, Peggy used him, you know, for his sperm. No, I'm just kidding. I, she did not do that. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Doc, I mean, like, you you see it coming. Everybody sees it coming. You know, as soon as he's just saying the sort of things like, I th- I think you're you're great, Campbell. You're so bright. And I was just like, he's just trying to muscle him into the American Airlines because he is a bitch. He sucks. No one likes you, Duck, and no one should. And then, then Peggy has to be like, I'm it, uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it, but then it, like ends up like fucking working for duck, which sucks. Like, yeah. and that's, you know, why story being a foil career. and, but why Madman is so interesting is that, you know, yeah, it fucking works people, out for the guy that you, you hate. <laughs> yeah. Bad people succeed in the real world. And that's what happens in Mad Men. Um, at least at this point, you know, we, we don't know yet. Of course, American airlines is going to go along with Sterling Cooper for this voyage. But yeah, I think that certainly like, Pete has to make a decision. See, he, he's at a crossroads. And like, as soon as this happens with duck, he's just like, man, you know, this sucks. And they, but he goes to Don and Don is upset about the Mohawk thing. And he scolds Pete for no reason. Right. And he's just like, not a good time. And, and it's just like, Don, his dad died. <laughs> like, and, and there's so many moments in the episode two where like, people are literally like, uh, 
like Pete just found out his dad died. He's like walking through the office and they're all just like riffing, you know, on just like ah, a bunch of people died, you know, like in a plane. And like Pete just kind of like walks by and it's oof, dramatic irony and all that. But it, but yeah, I mean, I think the better dramatic irony is Pete wanting the approval of all of his peers and making the plaid joke. Uh, yeah, that's true. Just, and he got it, it. He got a he got a smirk and a laugh from Roger. Good job, Pete. It, exactly. Exactly. And you could tell he hesitated to even do, like tell the joke for a minute, and he went with it, and it worked out. And what did it cost him? His yeah. dad. He, <laughs> He literally, you know, you're right. He literally goes through the mental calculation of like, is this messed up? It is. I'm going to do it. And then, yeah, literally the phone rings to Hildy right when that happens. Like it's, you know, and then I think that there's a lot of great editing in this episode because like there's a part where, uh, you know, Bert is just like, that is an interesting phone call. And then it like knocks over to Pete finding out that his dad died. Like it's like, oh God. Yeah, it's the, it's, it, it's the equivalent of like uh, being in the monster movie and being like, He's right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> Let's, uh, I guess we could finish up with just uh, some lingering stuff in the margins, I suppose. I feel like we really covered it thematically. Um, but of course, muscle your way in if you got something else. Uh, I was going to mention, you know, we got another fantastic Ken Cosgrove is still a fixer-upper. You know, I know every, I always say it, and Will is just like, why do you like Ken Cosgrove, John? He's a, he's a cat and a... Uh, a who and a half but not really uh he's a what's what i feel like i'm mentioning things that are not bad uh what, what's it he's a scoundrel that's it a rapscallion and what for i think the one that you use the same like you dirty dog you is absolutely just about pecan yeah. or not pecan book tv <laughs> yeah. well him too Cosgrove. But... <laughs> yeah because it's like he needs to be house trained it feels like um mm-hmm. and, and no one's going through that right now and he a needs to find his own are... kitty like sal did right uh, I love the, don't you have somewhere to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so nope. I was just like, I like the view from right here. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you definitely see that the silent kitty thing, uh, you know, some more, more references to him, you know, and his new boo. Uh, I think, I think it's established that they're married, but I don't know if the show has like confirmed that, but no, they have, I think so. they've absolutely said he's married. Okay. Okay. Just double checking. And then, yeah, so, you know, not, not a lot of Sal in this episode, not a lot of Ken, but, you know, there's a whole thing where Paul has his typewriter, you know, another me- a meshing of, like, life and work. You know, he brings his typewriter home when that almost got somebody fired. So another fun little connection to the the, sto- the main themes of this story. Uh, but an interesting foil because his mesh of, of home and work is just using work to do what he actually wants to do for work. Exactly. He's passionate about other things. Right. Um, I don't have too much. I mean, we do have the, I, I love the moment when Pete is in the like sort of den with his mother and his brother's wife and Trudy. And it's just like such an awkward scene. But then I, I just love the whole elephant in the room moment where she's like, what is that? And, and Trudy looks behind her. And she's like this pink elephant in the room. And then she, she's like, just take it, just take, it. um, I don't have anything deep to say about it. I, th- I just think that it's just like the writers having fun and, you know, kind of. How, how, how long do you think that his dad's been broke? I think like clearly like that was the main reason he wouldn't help Pete out last season. That's always been my interpretation. You know, it's something that I think. Which is like a year and a half ago. Showtime. Right. Right. So because that's the spring of 1960, I want to say around that time is New Amsterdam. Yeah. And yeah, this is March of 1962. So it's been two years. 
And yeah, so, so a while. It's been a while, and I think that, yeah, he's just sort of been, like, coasting on barely, like, pro- he probably wasn't broke in 1960, He pro- but he wasn't flush, I want to say, you know? Like, he probably was, like, very low on funds and was probably, like, just coasting on credit and stuff like that. Yeah, so. it probably sounds like he wasn't as liquid, right? Probably made some bad investments, mm-hmm. and because even, even back then, that's where most of wealth was tied into, right? I guess right. maybe, if, if not stocks, specific properties, yeah, and I, I assume, like, I, I forget how much the show gets into it, but I think that for Pete and Bud, it's a matter of, like, all they really have is their dad's capital, which is probably going to, like, barely offset his debts, you know? So it it really is putting Pete in this position where it's not that he has to pay his father's debts, but where he gets nothing from his real father, he gets nothing from his work father, and he gets nothing from his from his daddy, you know? As uh, Michael Rooker would say in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, you know, I I should do a meme like that where like <sighs> Keith is uh, Chris Pratt and, and Tom Draper's is like, he may have been your father, boy, but he won your daddy. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna Damn do it. it. It's actually pretty good. That's actually pretty good. We'll see. That that'll at least. Hey, I'll tell you what. That'll at least get you seven likes, which is pretty good. <laughs> hey, seven. That's that's all I ask. But uh, um, I think I think Will will appreciate that eventually. Do you think that Pete though? I do you think he does enjoy learning his father was a fraud? It has to make him feel at least a little good, right? I think, like, I get cold indifference from Pete, you know? And I think the way he... But that's the whole grief process that he's going through. I mean, he's just... He doesn't know how to react. I think he's... Well, he hasn't even cried yet. He hasn't even cried yet. I don't know if you know that. The thing is, like, the show kind of positions him as a sociopath sometimes. And I do not... that He is not a sociopath. I don't even think he's a full-on narcissist. I just think that he is emotionally crippled. And, like, he doesn't know how to, like, behave. And I think that's why he's so drawn to Don. Because he sees Don as an extension of, like, that kind of person. He's like, Don is somebody who's so cold and seemingly not moved by the normal things that, like, he's not emotional. He's not sentimental in the wrong ways. Like, I think Don is, or Pete looks at Don as, like, I need to be like that. And Don sort of looks at that and says, you can't be me because you're not a self-made man. And that's their constant tension. But, like, this is the moment where they can kind of sort of connect and actually build a real partnership over the show potentially i would it's almost like it's almost like everybody in the 60s was repressed in some way Mm -hmm. um everybody right now is repressed i'm repressed you're repressed we're all repressed repressed. peggy's baby is annoying i'm on peggy's side (laughs) if i had a little crybaby trying to keep me up when my career was booming i'd be like like, i've been to church with you mike i've been to church with you you cried during church like we were just like oh my gosh mike yeah i tried because i thought i had a kid and i was like <laughs> i don't want one <laughs> i didn't realize i could just pawn it off to my sister there you go my sister did have a baby four days ago oh congrats Mazatov. he's a mensch let's finish up with some trivia so i already mentioned this piece of trivia apologies uh but uh jump into it uh christopher allport is the actor who plays pete's father in the first season and as I mentioned before, he passed away in an avalanche. And this was before uh, season two came out. I don't know if it was like during the production of season two, though. And uh, it does say here that Matthew Weiner said that he was inspired to write the episode after this happened. So we can certainly draw the line of like this episode was written sort of like, you know, in some ways in response to that situation. Um, 
this is interesting. So the shot where Peggy is lying in bed after the night out, we didn't really talk about when she shuts that guy down. And I think it's super cringe when she's just like, I'm in the persuasion business and I'm not into your presentation. And it's like, she's so smug about it. But a little bit of me is just like, hey, you earned it. <laughs> you can be smug. I, I had two thoughts on that. I think that like she is certainly more she's a she's become choosier when it comes to guys like and she cares about her job she wants to wake up early the next day like she has work so she's not gonna just you know hook up with this dude but i think that she feels empowered that she can and it's a fun big big w for peggy olsen in this episode in that respect at least yeah i think it was the uh, as soon as he said like you know when she when she was trying to be convinced and he made it seem like he was the one in power it was just like uh-uh you don't know who you're dealing with yeah, 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 it's like, you know, you want to. And she's like, don't tell me what I, but she doesn't have to say that. That's why the writing is good. But anyway, the shot of her lying in bed after the party is Matthew Weiner's favorite shot of the season. And it's also the favorite shot of Lisa Albert, who again wrote this episode. Um, and I, I love that shot too, like the overhead shot. It's just like such a great, like, this is where Peggy is at right now. Um, and it's just such a great distillation of like everything that she's trying to balance and you know the satisfaction of where she's at but also that it's a little bit messy and it's a little bit rough around the edges but that's how she, she wants it she's progressing and it's great um okay so then in the scene where roger duck and cooper uh, are kind of like together in uh cooper's office i think it was it was either cooper's office or rogers uh, i forget but cooper is eating ketchup and cottage cheese and so Lisa Albert has stated before that Robert Morse ate a ton of cottage cheese during the shooting of that scene. Uh, and additionally, it's been noted that President Richard Nixon would often eat cottage cheese and ketchup as a snack during his presidency. It's not something I picked up on, that there's like some kind of like direct connection between Bert and Nixon kind of being played at here, either purposely or not. Um, I do love that moment, though, where where Bert is just sort of like when Don says like, yeah, when they're trying to convince him to like drop Mohawk and they're like, what's well, another one. It's like, yeah, American, the, the airline, like I want to have a client who didn't have a plane that just fell out of the sky. And then I love Bert's honest reaction. He was like, that's good. Like, I just feel like that's so Robert Morris, just kind of like maybe like improvising. I wish it was the truth behind that. Yeah, absolutely. But also cottage cheese is disgusting. Don't want to say that. I don't love cottage cheese. It's got to go with something. Definitely not ketchup. That's disturbing to me. Uh, okay. The Campbell family storyline in this episode regarding money was inspired by Lisa Albert, who found out her mother was in debt after she passed away. So uh, her bringing a little bit of her life into her work. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the mm. actors were playing an actual game of peak knuckle during the scene where Don, Betty Carlton and Francine play cards. John Hamm was the only one who knew how to play while the others were playing it wrong. I did not catch up, pick up on this. I have no idea what P-Knuckle is. Uh, I, called, I think I called it Peak Knuckle before. I don't know. Have you played? Have you even heard of this game? I haven't. I played a lot. My family is a big card playing uh, family. And it's, yeah, it was very clear that it, you know, either wasn't the game or they were skipping over big parts in between different <laughs> set of shots. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. And then last one here, the story of Bobby getting caught tracing a photo was brought to Matthew Weiner by Robin Veith, a writer on the show who did the same and got caught when she was a kid. So Robin Veith wrote uh, the reel uh, with Matthew Weiner. I think she, she was the one who brought that story last season where Betty shoots the pigeons um, among other things. So, I love I love how the writers on here bring their life into their work. You know, it's like I'm watching The Office, but for adults. I don't even know what that means. It's not even true. 
Top shot. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with that one, ladies spicy. and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling spicy toward the office today for some reason. But I think that'll do it, though, for us on this week's episode of Mad Men Men. Um, thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you can keep up and watch the show with us. Uh, as always, uh, if you want to hit us up and you have any questions about the show or anything like that, um, just uh, hit us up on Twitter. We have Mad Men Men Pod. Uh, it's in the show notes, and I think it's Mad Men Men Pod. I should know the the Twitter account. <laughs> I forget the username, but uh, it's in the I'm show. I'm sure you're so right. I'm sure you're right. That sounds right. Well, that's the thing is, I think I had to do something. Yeah, it's Mad Men Men Pod. I always worry though because I always have to do weird things with Twitter accounts because every name is taken. So anyway, but yeah, we'll see you all next week, and then uh, of course Will Ashen will hopefully be back. We got lots more to come with this season, but I think I think I'm lo- I'm not looking forward to the next episode as much as I usually do because I know who's coming next episode, and I'm uh, not happy about it. But okay, yeah, we'll deal with it. Buckle up. Bye, everybody. <laughs>